0: Hello, you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Ellen Buckin, Insights and Communication Executive at AMBA and BGA. Today on the podcast, I spoke to Yutunde Hoffman. Yutande has worked in the HR departments of some of the world's biggest companies, but now has more of a portfolio career, working with black women in organisations to boost them through the concrete ceiling. I spoke to Yatande to find out some of the main barriers to black women reaching the top management positions and find some of the key things managers can do to be more inclusive leaders. We also spoke about the concept of join within organisations and how it links to inclusion and diversity. Here's that conversation. Can you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your career so far, please?
1: Yes, thank you very much. So I love nothing more than helping people and organization get the best out of all of who they are, because when we operate at our very best as leaders, it's amazing what we can create for each other. And Ellen, my, my executive and corporate career has been in the world of HR, and it's a profession I dearly love. In fact, I believe that HR is one of the most critical roles in organizations. I started out in Nigeria. I worked for a non non-for-profit profit um, uh, organization and in compensations and benefits. And after a couple of years, I returned to the UK and worked for a FTSE 100, uh, 2 billion turnover manufacturing business. And it was delivering was the UK's doorstep milk delivery, the biggest doorstep milk, milk delivery organization. And it supplied own label products to the high street um, supermarkets. And I remember at the time, having just come back from Nigeria, going for over a hundred different Jobs and all the interview processes. I mean, it was just one of the most heartrending experiences of my life. But um, after a while, I did land a job, and I was there for seven years. And that was with a company called um, Northern Foods. That's the, that's the FTSE hundred I was talking about. And I had six six different promotions in in those seven years. So it was quite nice to. It was. It demonstrated that it was worth the the hard work, no matter how dark it felt for me at that time. And then after Northern, I left to join a global consumer goods branded business. It was my first international job. That was Unilever, looking after sites in the US, the Netherlands, UK, China, and India. And then after a few jobs, working in different parts of the business, I was headhunted to join a a global drinks company called Domek, which doesn't exist now. It was was acquired a few years after I left. But I was in that company two years. And Ellen, I learned here that pride can come before a fall. And also the importance of due diligence. It is important to conduct a due diligence on any company, any organization, any team you're going to join. And also don't be proud, you know, because I felt so proud because I was headhunted for the very first time, having gone for over 100 interviews, then I joined Unilever. And then now, um, I was headhunted. It was great, but then pride does definitely come before a fall. And um, after these two years, I was blessed enough to join what became a Footsie Twenty company, um, Imperial Brands, in a variety of senior HR generalist and specialist roles. With the last one being the global head of HR for its commercial divisions, and I was driving growth across 160 countries. I had over 200 HR professionals across the world for whom I was responsible, and it was awesome. In 2013, though, I decided, okay, enough is enough. I was beginning to lose my soul, I think. I was traveling more than 90% of the time, hardly seeing my family, and felt, okay, now is the time to step out. I was also beginning to feel like I didn't belong. There'd been a lot of change in the business. I'd been at the center of it. And then latterly, I just didn't feel like I belonged or um. Felt particularly valued as a person. And so after some soul searching, I decided to step out with nowhere to go, without a job to go. And um, and, and I decided to go portfolio after a lot of soul searching, some false starts. I thought, shall I go back into the corporate world? And I found that the jobs I was interested in weren't interested in me, the jobs I didn't want were interested in me. And um now I'm doing absolutely what I love, you know, and, and really bring into life that joy I have from helping people and organizations get the best out of who they are. So what does it mean I do now? I sit on, I have a portfolio career, what's what people might say. So I have a, a variety of things that I do um, that form my portfolio, my tenets in everything I do. I love Leadership and results. So love is unconditional acceptance of who I am and of who you are, no matter who you are, what you do, what you say, etc. Leadership comes from a place that says we all are leaders, whether you're ruling a nation or sweeping the streets. And results is about impact, having a trying to make a difference. And with this tenets. Doing what I love, I sit on company PLC boards. I'm a chair of Remco. I am a trustee of a non for profit. I run my own leadership and change advisory practice. I founded a community interest company to enable the instilling of joy in people and community. I authored a book. I founded a global executive leadership program, and yeah, it's just wonderful. So that's what I do at the moment. And now here I am speaking to you and your audience.
0: You've had. An incredible career and I'm so excited to ask you in a little bit more detail about some of the things that you've just mentioned but to start us off you do a lot of work in the inclusion and diversity sphere Mm. what sparked your interest in that how did you kind of get into that kind of sector of things.
1: First of all, my personal experience being a black woman and a senior black woman, um, um, (laughs) having grown through the world of work and acquired several scars on my back, some um, not my own doing and some, I must say, my own doing. Um, When I talk about my own doing, um, that would be Sometimes I lacked confidence, I didn't speak up, maybe when I could have, that wasn't my own doing, was being on the receiving end of discrimination and racism in different ways. And I also had um, some fantastic sponsorship and support and breakthroughs from the dominant demographic that people would say, oh, my goodness, this is a source of racism and so on. So all that variety of experience sparked my my interest. And then it was accelerated when on the 25th of May. 2020, George Floyd was murdered. Um, Because for a long time, I kept my head down. I thought, well, I'm interested in it, but I wasn't so big a speaker or an advocate visibly about it. But when George Floyd was murdered, I felt I could not sit on the bylines, I couldn't stand on the bylines, I had to do something. And so my voice got louder and louder. And what I stress when it comes to the aspect of inclusion and diversity is actually the emphasis of love love if we all as leaders came from a place of love and remember I said Ellen that we all are leaders whether you are sweeping the streets or running a nation we all are leaders if we come from that place of love George Floyd would never have happened and a lot of what happens in organizations, everything that inclusion and diversity and equity and equality is driving for would not be needed. So I think it it makes sense. So the experience of people I know as well and diverse people um, and the response that anyone, regardless of who you are, you know, they, 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 they are valued they're valued, they should be valued. And when they feel like they belong and their opinion matters, it's amazing what they can create. And finally, Ellen, it makes sense. You know, the, the data proves it. You have all the leading consultancies and advisory bodies um, and government organizations saying it's key. It's, it's important for productivity. It's important for employee engagement. It's important for the bottom line. And, 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 and. So it's also at its very basic sense, it makes sense. It's logical. So that's what that's what sparked my interest, and continues to spark it.
0: I couldn't agree more. Often when I'm reading about things, I'm like, how it just it's so black. For me, it's so black and white. It just makes sense to um, do everything we can to picture inclusion and diversity is put at the top of every agenda. So you're the founder of Solaris. Mm. Um, can you tell me a bit more about that and the impact companies had so far?
1: Oh, thank you so much. So LARIS is a year-long program. It's a global executive leadership development program. Um, It is targeted at the Black executive and professional woman in organizations, or indeed the woman who identifies as Black or Black heritage. And its purpose is to have her be empowered to drive her career beyond that concrete ceiling, that middle management level that sometimes we know we get to and we can't just get past it, to drive her career beyond that ceiling, to the C suite and beyond. And it enables the organization that says, you know, we believe in you, we believe in your capabilities. It enables them to demonstrably walk their talk. Now Solaris is only in the second year, and I have to say, Ellen, it has exceeded my expectations. Um, because you can imagine the, the the challenge I would have had around. Oh no, why just women? Why just black women? Why not all women? Why not black men and women? Why not this? Why not that? And so what I say is that it's not. Instead of, it's in addition to. And it has exceeded my expectations. Its impact has been significant so far. Um, For the individual and their careers and also the organization. So for example, 95% of delegates who graduated believe it has changed their lives for the better. It's had a massive impact on their lives. More than 50% of them, remember we're only in the second year. More than 50% of the women who've been on the program have had a promotion or a change in job for the better. Um, The knock on effect for the organizations from a business development perspective has, has been great. You know, there's some of the, because these women come from different businesses, They've actually been able through their network to open doors for each other from a business perspective, not a, new, a person perspective, from a business perspective. Maybe one team in one organization has been trying to get into another to show some, I don't know, some tech platform, whatever it might be. That's been the knock on effect. And also their, their bosses have re- reported, got you know, you, you're speaking up more. There's a confidence you're putting yourself forward for more things. So there's been a um. What I have to say, though, which is really beautiful, Ellen, is the the network that's been created, a tight knit network, that sisterhood of professional women like you, that high support and equally high challenging group that says, "Okay, I can challenge you to be the best you can be. And I'm going to do this without condition and without the pressure of the backdrop of the politics of my own organization behind me. That's been powerful. And so the, the long, in the long term, what I'm really actually what I also wanted to say is that um, so far over 60 percent of the organizations represented in the first year sent delegates again this year. And the, the other percentage is because they don't have enough of the type of delegate that's required for Solaris in their organization, otherwise they would do this. This this is this is the challenge that we have, but it doesn't mean that we don't keep going. My vision, Ellen, is just ten of ten, and so Solaris is for the long term. And what I mean by just ten of ten, it is this: if ten percent of roles, mission critical roles, pivotal roles in organizations are filled by people from underrepresented groups. And if 10% of those roles are then filled by the black woman, the woman who identifies as black, a woman of black heritage, I'm going to go to, I'm going to die and go to heaven happy. That's the vision.
0: It sounds amazing. How big is the program? How many people do you have on it each year? Well, I know it's only it's the second year, but how many people did it start off
1: with? Well, we started off with only 16. And this year we've got over 40 delegates.
0: Wow, it's such amazing
1: growth! I know, but it, that tells you about the power of the word of mouth. When people, when people have an uh, an awesome experience, they share, and and I think that particularly for some of the organizations, particularly the new ones joining us this year. There's that proof of concept, which we didn't have in the first year. So I'm, I am very grateful to the organizations in our first year that said, OK, we're going to take a punt. We're going to nominate some of our women. We're going to nominate our qualifying leaders. To join Solaris, because that's what has now propelled the acceleration. We're turning nominations away now, and um, but Solaris is going to be here for forever. It's going to be here for a long, long time, and it's going to be handed on and handed on and handed on until this vision is lived and exceeded. This is how it will be. Of growth like
0: that, yeah, I can imagine that it's just going to get bigger and bigger.
1: I hope so. Well, we have to, we, we've got to also ensure that we, we've got a number of delegates that um, we can wrap our arms around. So we're not a university. We are now around the optimum number and that's what we will stay at. Um, and as we grow, we will bring out new products under the Solaris brand for different cadre of underrepresentation representation in organization.
0: So, I also wanted to ask you about another bit of your portfolio career, which is Synchrony. Can you tell me a little bit more about this company as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. Synchrony is about enabling leaders, leadership teams, and organizations to walk and work in synchrony with who they are, their values, and their purpose. And uh, so it's an international boutique consultancy. From this place of walking and working in synchrony, it focuses on leadership and change. And so what we do is that we enable um, leaders and leadership teams to align their teams and organizations behind the change they want to lead them through. We help leadership teams to be more functional even though very few leadership teams will admit to being dysfunctional but we would help them to be functional to be more effective to be more collaborative to save time and we we run bespoke leadership programs management programs that focus on change inclusive leadership culture and the power of storytelling and uh, I, you know it's it's i'm so excited because our our Clients span the UK, the US, Europe, and across a footsie. And it's just wonderful, really helping, particularly when you have leaders who think this, we really want to bring a a lasting change to the way we do things in our business, focusing on our how and who we're being. And when we engage with them, it inspires me. We inspire them. We work together and, and, and the results can be awesome
0: you've more improved and you're an expert on inclusion diversity Um, and so I'm going to pick your brains on some more specific parts of that if that's all right.
1: Of course.
0: (laughs) Um, So what do you think are the main barriers to Black women reaching the top management positions in companies?
1: Oh my gosh. There are so many. Um, The ones that I would like to pick out, The first of all, is the lack of representation. We all like to look up and see that there's a possibility we can get there. And if there's no one like me up there, what message is that sending to me? So that's the first barrier and that impacts the mindset. It impacts um, uh, the confidence because it says, well, There's nothing like being able to say, if you can get there, so can I, and I can go beyond. So the first one is the the lack of representation and the insufficiency of role models at that level. Then the second barrier is that at the end, Entry, the barriers to entry, whether it's because of the name, whether it's where organizations being conservative, where they fish for talent, and so on. And then the processes that organizations across the world use tend to be processes based on the promotion of the dominant demographic. So there are hidden biases that then have her on the, on the back foot And Ellen, no matter where you are in the world, whether it's in Asia, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in the U.S., Europe, anywhere in the world, the Americas, the darker the skin, the bigger the challenge, the darker the skin, the bigger the challenge. And so you have those barriers and therefore systems in in organizations, in my view, are inherently biased because there are so many norms based on the dominant demographics that need to be pulled down. The other barrier is access to sponsorship, because there's a knock on effect sponsorship that is meaningful. Organizations, I'm pleased to say I'm seeing more of them bringing in sponsorship programs, sponsorship circles, et cetera. But as for a sponsor to do his or her or their job effectively. They're also looking at their brand, their career, and so on. So they've got to know the person they're going to be backing. So having access to build that relationship to enable meaningful sponsorship is also a challenge. So how organizations and leaders can orchestrate that to make that happen is something that should be on the the agenda of leaders who really genuinely believe in the advancement of the Black woman. And then... The hidden factor, Ellen, is that a lot of black women leaders, particularly women in that middle management position. There were multiple hats that even their organizations do not see. They might be carers, they're moms, they they, they might be the main breadwinners. They've got all of this back, all of these hats that actually demonstrate their potential and their ability. And some of them are even running side businesses and hustles that are successful, but in the organization They only see one dimension. And therefore, it's a barrier to them being identified as high potential. Whereas if a business were to allow more flexibility, if leaders were genuinely willing to say, tell me more about you, your ambition, what you do, what you do outside of what," then you'll get a fuller picture of this talent that's hidden in your business that you need to make more visible. Now, these different hats as well, can also be a barrier to networking. So, again, a barrier because a lot of the more senior you get, the more you have to network, network with skill, broaden, have your network be diverse, whether internally or externally. When you wear multiple hats, sometimes it's difficult to network, particularly when networking events might be early in the morning or, or in the evening when children have to go to bed, when caring responsibilities might come to the fore. So these are the different barriers. And then the last one is salary progression and the rate of promotion. There's, I think the London School of Economics did a study not too long ago that showed that the the biggest gap in, in pay lies between the Black woman and others. So the challenge you have for the Black woman is she is at that intersection. She's Black and she's female. And then the blacker her skin, the blacker her skin is, the more challenging it is, no matter where you are in the world. So that's just a handful of some of the barriers. Each one needs to be pulled down to enable her talent and her capability and her potential to be realized.
0: So you've kind of touched on some of the solutions to the problems you just mentioned. But what do you think is maybe one of the the one or two things that you think every business should be doing to help the advancement of black women in their companies?
1: Mentoring. I think mentoring is absolutely key. And, and I'm not a huge fan of reverse mentoring, because what I don't want to see is um, the mentee given everything and so much and educating the mentor. And now what? So I, I believe mentoring, proper mentoring in all what mentoring is meant to be. I think that's one key thing every organization should bring. The second one is sponsorship. It's, sponsorship is not mentoring. Sponsors who are willing to invest the time, get to know the person that you're sponsoring and then back them, be their agent, open doors for them, be the advocate in the organization. The third one, Ellen, is planned career paths, planned career paths. Be interested in what she wants to do, where she wants to go and how she wants to get there and then help her understand the options, help her also understand That's related. But the fourth one, how talent is managed in your organisation, how it is formally managed and how it is informally managed. Those are the kinds of things that organisations can do.
0: I love that. It's really practical advice. More specifically, we talked about how the business can help. But if there's an individual leader or manager listening to the podcast, what can they do when they put down their earphones what can they do to make an impact in
1: their organization oh wow! first of all there's so much that can be done (laughs) the first thing is be interested but be interested from a place of wanting to make a difference from a place of saying okay this is where I am how can I help somebody how can I help my neighbor So be genuinely interested and therefore educate yourself. And I was so impressed when um, somebody in my network told me about how he went out and got a coach, a coach to help him educate and help him understand what he can do. That was brilliant. Educate yourself, read, talk to people and then do something about it. When you educate yourself, ask the question. So what can I do? The third thing is, don't stand on the bylines. Be an active ally. You can start from today. Speak up for others in your organization. Don't turn a blind eye when somebody has been slighted, a joke has been made, um, somebody's been excluded from their opinion being asked. Speak up. Say, oh, so and so has not said, has not given their opinion. Oh, so and so, I'd like to hear your view. If you're a team leader, ensure that everybody in your team is heard. Mentor. Be a mentor. Put your hand up. Even if you don't have a mentoring scheme in your organization, hey, come to me. I'll, I'll, I'll find somebody for you to mentor. Be a mentor and be that mirror for that confidential sounding board for your mentee. Then you've got to challenge your first thoughts and decisions. You know, team leaders, when we're trying to source for projects, when you're trying to, when you're looking at recruiting people for your team, when you're looking to where you want to go and work, it's natural to look for people who you like, people who think and feel like you. As a leader, challenge yourself, challenge your first thoughts and decisions. Ask yourself, have I made the best decision? Am I making the best decision? Am I engaging the right recruitment partner? Am I I challenging them to ensure they're doing the right thing? Ask, Ask yourself those questions. The other thing you can do is set up an accountability partnership with a peer. A peer that's not like you. That way you can really have that accountability partnership around what you can do. At the end of each month, Look, and have, look back on your month. What have I done to enable more diverse thinking, more diverse behavior, more inclusive behavior in my organization and at home? And you do the same with your accountability partner. Then you plan what you're going to do next. It has to be practical. You will do and you'll treasure what you measure. So that accountability is key. And then lastly, When you do mentor, provide access to your personal network and encourage colleagues to do the same. People have doors that they can open and you can give access to those doors by making connections and making introductions.
0: Brilliant advice. So I'd love to move on to something slightly different, but I think you'll be able to connect it for me. On your your LinkedIn, um, You speak about joy a lot, which is not maybe something we hear a lot of in kind of like business thought leadership. Yeah. Um, I love the idea that we should be joyful in the workplace. Absolutely. How does this link in with inclusion and diversity? And what does joy to you in the workplace mean?
1: Oh, joy for me means the ability to recover from setbacks fast. And so it's different to happiness. Joy comes from within you. Happiness from an organizational perspective to me means, of course, organizations have an obligation, I believe, to make their employees happy, pay them well, ensure they've got the right working environment, give them the resources to do their job, ensure they've got a good relationship with their bosses. That's all external. Joy comes from within. It means that I am not reliant on the external factors because I know who I am. So how do I define joy? Joy for me is that combination of love and purpose. Love is that unconditional acceptance of all of who I am. What's the My race, my gender, my beliefs, my values, my strengths, my weaknesses. I accept me for all of who I am. And from that place, I can create an environment in which you can accept all of who you are. So that's love. Purpose is knowing what I'm about. What is my purpose in life? What, What am I here to do? What do I want to be? Who do I want to be in life? So when I know what I'm about, what my purpose is, and when I accept myself for all of who I am, then I've got joy. I've got joy. And so it means that I am life-proof. How does this connect to inclusion and diversity? Well, if as a leader, I come from a place of love and I'm joyful, I'm confident in who I am, and I am about serving others, then I'm going to ensure that all of my people Regardless of who they are, what they do, what they have, how they describe themselves, all of them have something to offer. And I will tap into you one at a time, your talent and your abilities. And because you love and you have purpose, you're more willing to be challenged. You're more willing to try new and different things that speaks to diversity. You're not going to suddenly say, oh, let me go for what I like and what's just good for me. I'm going to say what's right for my what's right for my organization, because I'm walking in my purpose. I'm walking in, in synchrony with who I am and what I'm about. So this is why joy is so key. So for the individual, Ellen, that joy. Um, is about love and purpose, and it gives you a self-assurance that enables you to speak up more because you're confident on your own two feet. And it means you can also recover faster from setbacks. If your team, if your business, if a a place does not value you, you take your talent, put it in your suitcase, in your pocket, and you go elsewhere because you know who you are. When I discovered my joy, I became more self-confident, more assured, more accepting of who I am, more proud. I mean, I'm sure there are people years and years ago who knew me. If they were to see me today, they would say, what did you do with the Yitzunday I knew? Well, actually, I'll be saying, well, because I found my joy. I found my joy. That's, That's who I am. So the way it speaks to inclusion and diversity, when you come from that place of love, you're more inclusive, and you're, you're you're willing to to try new things and for the individual who's in an underrepresented group it grows your confidence it deals with the inner critic between your ears and it gives you the space to step out more into a place of who you really are and who you want to be without condition without justice without people judging you without retribution that's what it that's what it delivers
0: that's amazing, and it kind of ties into that sort um, you of know, business thought that you should be allowed to make mistakes in organisations. And I guess if you're joyful, you're able to like own that decision and understand why you made it and learn from it in probably a better way.
1: Yes. And because it means you'll be you're less likely to beat yourself over the, the head all over and over again. And it also means from a leadership perspective, you're more willing to to coach and say, let's learn from that. Let's learn from what happened. How do we avoid that? As opposed to looking for blame, there's there'll be less fear in the company. So joy, actually, Ellen, is a fruit of love and love is the most critical leadership capability. I believe, and I, and it's the most critical organizational capability. If we had more of that in the world of work, there would be more joy and there would be more, can I put more innovation, more productivity, more growth of the organizations. A lot of what organizations are trying to achieve today, strategic growth, top-line growth, bottom-line growth, expanding into new territories, and, 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 would be done faster, quicker, more effectively. there was more love because there would also be more joy which is a key fruit of love
0: I couldn't agree more we are unfortunately running out of time but you wrote an article for our online magazine Ambition which goes into the topic of mentoring in a little bit more depth can you explain a little about what you can then hear more about in that article
1: Absolutely. I mean, one of the most inexpensive yet impactful forms of development is mentoring. I, I, I if if an organization does nothing at all, do mentoring because it, it's so effective and impactful. It provides that safe space and a confidential sounding board for the mentee, and and you know, can you imagine the experiences a leader who feels in the minority or alone has? So mentoring provides that space, safe space where they can speak without judgment. They can check their thoughts, their their responses to things before following through. And it helps the leadership development of the individual, both the mentor and the mentee. Why? Because it's a mirror. On both sides, as the relationship grows, they can really be supportive of each other. It can also help career planning and development, particularly for the individual, and also for the, for the for the mentor. But from the mentee's perspective, it can help the career planning and development. I have three options: I like go A, B, or C. These are the pros and cons. The mentor can advise, and two more things. I think it enables belonging when you are one of a few. If you if you have mentoring in an organization where a person can feel isolated it's nice to know that you've got that mentor you can go to and talk to and therefore it also supports onboarding and fast integration so i i think that mentoring actually is it's under it's not promoted enough but it's really the hidden gem most impactful way of developing people in organization if it's done right well it's been an absolute
0: joy to talk to you today thank you. um thank you so much Thank you so much for the practical advice. I love that on the podcast when people can go away and have some real things to go and implement, and I think you've really given that.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome, Ellen.
0: Thank you so much to Yatande for being on the podcast today. If you'd like more about leadership or you'd like to read her article for Ambition, head to com forward slash Ambition. And make sure to listen out the next ambition podcast released every Wednesday.